everybody, welcome to The Carol Connection. I'm your host, Jared Carroll, here to bring you guys another great episode. I did want to take a chance to shout out my last week's episode, episode 142, with Elijah DeAndre. And that was his first appearance, or second appearance on the podcast. I think it was episode 55, and then I think it was 122, to be exact. And that was his, so this past, basically, like over a year, he's been living in Virginia. Talked about his experience moving out to Virginia, why he moved out to Virginia, Talked about the creation of the Spawncast podcast, his podcast, and we talked about him interviewing. We also talked a little bit about um, video games and some random conversational stuff that we just kind of like went on a tangent the first 15 minutes. So it was just a fun conversation. It's always great to have people come back on the podcast and kind of just catch up on life and stuff. So if you want to check out that podcast, you could check it out at thecarolconnection.simplecast.com or you want to watch the podcast you go on youtube search the carol connection or jared m carol should pop up right for you and if you want to be a guest or return as a guest you could search the carol connection on instagram or at jared m carol on instagram and we'll link something up and try to give me like three weeks to a month in advance i try to like plan stuff out especially with summer a lot of stuff going on for everybody so trying to keep that in mind so just be patient with me everybody but that brings me to today's episode Episode 143 with Yexica. Hi. How are you? Good. A little bit nervous, but excited. Can you uh, pronounce your last name for me? Okay. So I'm Puerto Rican. I have two last names. My name is very, very long. So my <laughs> name is Yexica Andrea Capas Santiago. Oh. I'm like low-key kind of glad that I didn't try to attempt that because I totally would have butchered the fuck out of that. And like that's like my one biggest fear when doing podcasts is like butchering someone's last name. Like I had one episode... I tell the story a lot, so, so sorry for the people that have listened to the podcast several times. But I had one episode where I had this girl, and I reshot the beginning of the podcast like five times because I couldn't pronounce her last <laughs> name right. And I was like, you know, like at least if I get the first name right and then allow them to pronounce their like full name, like mm-hmm. I think I think that would be great. Yeah, that's but uh, kind of tell everyone just a little bit about who you are and what you're doing currently. Okay, so um, Yixi Andrea, like I just mentioned, I am from PR. I moved recently. Well, not recently. It's going to be five years. But I'm an English teacher. I teach adult ed and I work at a nonprofit. And from there, I needed to do something besides work. So I started doing content on Instagram. Perfect. And we have a lot to talk about here. And I have a lot of interesting questions to ask you just about your life and like the content in general. I just, mm-hmm. I love that stuff. And shout out to Laurel. I actually didn't even notice that at first. Shout out to Laurel. Ooh. Love that. Um, <laughs> That's the first episode that you heard, and we yes. were able to kind of get in contact on Instagram and set this up. So shout out her, and shout out Claudia as well. You guys are amazing, some of my favorite people. <laughs> um, but how I like to open my podcast, I like to talk about family dynamic. Okay. And for the the listeners, if this is their first time listening, I like to kind of explain why I do that. And we're talking about your life here, so I like to kind of use this analogy of like when you're building house, you want a great foundation. Mm -hmm. So when you're talking about your life in your early years, we want a great foundation to build your life story on. And like I said, off podcast, I like to go a little bit chronologically. So like it kind of like helps. Sometimes we'll go off topic and we'll, we'll go on different tangents and that's fine, but I'll allow you to kind of just like go off this and whatever you're comfortable with, talk about your family dynamic. Okay. So 
It's a roller coaster ride. <laughs> but uh, I can start with the fact that I come from a very small family. It was just my mom, my dad, and I. Then fast forward from that is just my mom and I. My dad passed away when I was very young. I'm sorry to hear about that. Yeah, no. well, it's been years, but I'm okay. And now I have a 10-year-old sister that could pass by my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> and she's my world, honestly. My, my dynamic with my mom, our relationship has grown into something very beautiful. When I was in my teenage years, I was kind of like upset because I didn't have my dad. She was abroad studying. She was studying. I, I was, I say with my grandparents from my mom's side. So I grew up, I say that I'm lucky because I have two sets of parents. I have my young, cooler parents, which my mom had me when she was a teenager. She was 16 and my dad was 18. So I have that type of parents. And then I have my grandparents who are very old fashioned, who are very Catholic. So you can only imagine, right? Having teenage parents and then having very like formative. I don't know how to say it in English. Very fuertes, very strong-minded grandparents. And that was, a my mom was like my best friend. I would call her like, like, I can't believe you lived with them for this long. How did you do it? And then I would be with my grandma like, why is my mom studying abroad? Why isn't she here with me? So it was a big roller coaster ride. And now that I'm older, like I'm very appreciative of having the, those two sets of parents. That's really awesome that they were able to kind of take you in and raise you, especially yeah. to allow your mom to go do that and study abroad. Mm -hmm. Because I could imagine like her doing that opened up a lot of doors for you to kind of experience a lot of new things. Mm -hmm. And obviously we'll get into later on of you moving from PR up to New England, Rhode Island yeah. area. We'll talk about that and that whole experience. But I kind of want to talk a little bit, of, if you're comfortable with, about kind of like the emotions like after your dad's passing and kind of mm -hmm. what you were able to like, you're young, you're very young at that point. So like, was it hard to kind of manage that going through life and going to like school and stuff? And especially like you said, a small family and being an only child at the time. So like, how, yeah. how were you able to kind of like manage that? Was it maybe just like kind of like your grandparents and your mom really being very supportive in that time? Cause it sounds like you have a very loving and like supportive family, which would seem like it would help you kind of deal with those emotions during that time oh yeah i was an only child but i never felt like an only child because i'm speaking for the latino community we have a lot of cousins and like you have cousins and your cousins have cousins that turn into your cousins so it's more like i wasn't an only child because i had really close cousins that i consider to this day my brothers and my sisters that drove me crazy that i didn't i would lock myself in my room i would kick them out so having that environment of them being around, I never really felt alone. It was a big change. I was 11 when my dad passed away. He was only 29. And the hardest thing is that I turned 29 last year. And I was like, carajo, I can't believe I'm my dad's age when he passed away. So that really hurt me. And turning 30, it's hard for me to turn 30 this year because I'm like, I can't go back and think about my dad when he was 30 because I'm going to be older than him. And my mom is definitely there. She's always said, your dad is always with you as long as you always remember him. He's, he's not here physically, but he's in your heart. He's in your spirit. He's in your mind. And you look a lot like him. So just if you miss him too much, just look in a mirror. And I'm always very appreciative and very grateful that my mom always said that. And to this day, I only, my dad only had his one brother. 
And I visit him maybe once a year or so because he lives in North Carolina. And we talk about my dad and he's like, how do you remember so much when he passed away when you were 11? And I'm like, first of all, I have a good memory. Second of all, my mom always kept talking to me. She's like, I don't want you to stop talking about him just because he's not physically here. And I've created this tradition where every every year on his birthday, I do the stuff that he likes or he liked. So he was a pizza fan and I always eat pizza on his birthday. I always try to do something. If I can't fly to PR because tickets are very expensive, <laughs> especially during his birthdays in March and usually it's like um, spring break or whatever. So I'm like spring break and PR is very expensive. So he loved New York. I'm not a big fan of New York, but he loved New York. So whenever I can't fly back home, I take a trip to New York and eat pizza there. And I like visit the places that he used to like. I listen to the music that he used to like. And that's my way of still honoring him and still feeling like he's here. So, yeah. So I don't know if I answered your question. No, yeah. (laughs) And I I think what was really powerful is like kind of like what your mom was telling you of just when you miss him, look in the mirror. Yeah. Like that kind of gave me some chills to be honest. And like, I think a lot of us who have lost parents and could like relate to that in that aspect of like, when we forget about how crazy genetics are. Like we, we yeah. obviously your parents get together, have, have children, you look like them yeah. or half of them and <laughs> however the mix is. But like, regardless is like, you're a part of them and they're a part of you it's mm-hmm. essentially. And to like be able to look into the mirror and kind of like remember and like get those emotions and yeah. like I think it's really great that you do the, that tradition basically and do the things that he would have loved to be doing mm-hmm. and like continuing that and even just thinking about like turning 30 and like getting to his age basically or passing his age yeah. like I can imagine that being like a really emotional thing to kind it of is. like realize like now that we're older like that's so young like that is really so young to yeah. to pass at that that age and like obviously condolences but it seems like you've been able to not allow that to hinder your growth and like mm-hmm. continually push forward. And there's a lot of great stuff that we'll get into in this podcast that you do, but I kind of want to make a little bit of the transition to kind of like childhood basically. And like you talked about like your cousins and the extended family. Um, was there in PR, like within like the schooling system, like how is that kind of structured? Is it different than the United States? Like in that aspect, like I know obviously it's a territory of the United States. Not, I don't know if they made it. I don't think they made an official country yet no. or state yet. I know that's something no. that I'm pretty sure Puerto, Puerto Rico, I know they're like, like uh, lobbying for that basically. And like, that should be at this point, but that's a whole different, that's, yeah, you know, a whole was, different that's conversation. That's a different podcast. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's a whole different thing. But like, how was the education system? Like, what was it like for you? Um, growing up in PR, because as someone who's grown up in America, I no clue. Like I've grown up in uh, Seacock my entire life. I have no idea how things are done in like what's the culture around the school system down there. Okay. So it's funny that you mentioned because before we started recording, I told you that I moved to, I lived in PR, moved in Rhode Island, back and forth. I did that since I was like two years old. And then I would go back to PR. Then I would go back to Rhode Island. But once I started school, I started school. Kindergarten was in Puerto Rico. First, second, third grade was in Rhode Island. Okay, okay. When I moved from Rhode Island back to PR, my Spanish, I always kept my Spanish because my mom said, Inglés de la puerta para fuera, like English from the door out. I could speak English from the door out of the house, but inside I had to keep my Spanish. But it was funny because I was always surrounded by English. So in, in English, you would say like, 
your sh- the how would you say? Yeah, like white shoes. You won't say shoes white, right? White shoes. Mm-hmm. And in Spanish, you would say shoes white. So in English is you um, white bottle. Mm-hmm. In Spanish, I would say like botella blanca. And um, in my mind, I was translating without noticing because I was seven years old, eight years old. I would say in Spanish the way that I would say it in English. So my mom was like, I can't put you into the public system right now because you have really good grades. I've always been a nerd. She's like, you have really good grades. And if I put you into this system, they're just going to. So I had to go to a private school that was bilingual. And I would take like most of my classes in English and then take Spanish. And once that my Spanish was better within like two years, my mom was like, okay, this is too expensive. Let's put you back into the (laughs) system. And it was a big transition because coming from here to then going to a private school, to then going to a public system there. I remember I was so nervous. I got lost because you move from classroom to classroom. I think you do that here too when you're like in sixth, seventh grade. Yeah, once you take the middle school yeah. at like So grades. I had never experienced that because I went from here to to the private school that you didn't have to do that in the private school. The teachers would go visit you in the same classroom. And then I, I got lost. I couldn't remember my teacher's name. And I just remember kids being like, you're the new girl. Because I didn't even start the first day of class. I started like a month after. So it was like, you're the new girl. Come on. I think I remember. You're in my class. So they would move me around. And it felt like family. It was hard at the beginning. But then when this whole thing happened with my dad, I was in sixth grade. And I remember I had picture day. At school, I still didn't know about my dad's passing. I had picture day. My mom was abroad. I was with my grandparents taking me to picture day. And unlike here, picture day over there, I think here you're in school, like your parents don't go. It's just like they take you by groups. Yeah. Over there's like a whole event, especially if you're like in sixth grade or ninth grade. It's a whole day. You go over there and like you dress up. They take you different pictures, different backgrounds and all of that. It's, it's, a, it's an event. Like people dress up for that. And your parents are with you and they're like, okay, I want this type of shot. I want this type of shot. It's not just your basic. Okay. So I get there, I get late and I feel like all the teachers are being super nice. Like They're always nice. I was like the teacher pet. So everybody was very <laughs> nice, but I, I was so happy. It was like my perfect day. I remember I went to a picture and when I went, everybody was so welcoming more than usual. And I was like, something's happening. Something's weird. But I was so happy. All the teachers were on me to the point that it was such a community that to this day, I still have communication with the group of classmates that were with me that day. And I'm 29. I was 11. We still talk. We still know each other. And I went to high school and all of that. I went to college. And I can tell you that that group of students that were with me in sixth grade are still like the core of me. High school. I hated high school. I probably talked to one or two people that were with me in high school, but I still have communication with more than half of my class from sixth grade. That's crazy. And like the fact that it was during that that time of your life too, where it's very difficult, that probably Mm -hmm. plays a role into that, the significance of the people that you had in your life at that time. And they rallied around you and Mm -hmm. like, were able to probably better understand you than anyone else going forward because 
anytime you go through trauma or something like that with someone, then that relationship tends to be stronger, which allows the bond to grow further and further. And that's really great to hear that you're able to still have that relationship, especially nowadays where as we get older, we tend to lose the connection with people Mm -hmm. that we went to school with. And then you just see like so-and-so is getting married or so-and-so is having a baby. And it's just like life just progresses. But to be able to have that, like that constant like communication here and there and to keep up with each other, I think that's really great. And I do like the fact that they make a bigger deal about picture day. Like that's actually a really cool thing to me. Like it kind of like when I, now that I kind of like am older and think about it, like it would be so much more like, valuable and beneficial to have that experience to have those pictures and like it would probably mean a lot more especially to like my parents or like grandparents to have those really mm-hmm. nice pictures when you're making it an, an actual event versus yeah. just like you said the fucking little like yeah. smile <laughs> on a bookcase and like you get like one bad photo and then mm-hmm. you like oh, do i really want to retake it it's a has to retake yeah. it and they make this whole this the retake day and it's like this yeah. whole whole freaking thing and that sounds so much better and sounds like they actually care. Oh, yeah. They give us, like, props if you want to use props and, like, feather stuff. It was it was cool. And another thing that I do want to add about the PR systems and schools and stuff, the food. Don't even get me started with American school food <laughs> versus over there. We get our arroz, our habichuelas. We get... We get we could decide between milk or juice or back then when you're little, obviously you want the hamburgers and all of that. But now <laughs> you're looking back and you're like, I really had nutrition over there versus when I was in school over here. So oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was it's a big difference. I can imagine being just a lot well like uh cooked food and just like the variety too is probably way better. Cause like last yeah. I would say the last like decade, the school systems here like definitely changed i think michelle obama introduced a whole new like get healthy kind of thing mm-hmm. and that changed the whole of kind of what was served in the in lunch rooms because they wanted to get healthier and all that stuff which which is great until you look at the food that they're throwing in the cafeterias and they're just like terrible yeah. and it's like that's why i would bring my own lunch yeah. <laughs> in those and cases don't you have to don't kids have to pay for lunch yep. yeah in pr you don't and you can even repeat once you like because for some kids that's their whole meal like you don't know what's happening back home and all of that so they were allowed to repeat if they wanted to have seconds or thirds they could go back and have more food yeah they would only offer um like a discounted lunch basically if yeah. you were uh in those positions which oh. i'm like that's kind of crazy that and then they would have so much leftover food. my mom was ended up being like a lunch lady in um when as we got older she was a stay-at-home mom and then uh, as we got older, she ended up becoming like uh, doing like the sandwiches at my high school, so she could be on the same schedule with us basically. And oh. like all my friends would go to the sandwich line and get hyped, and she, uh, I played football, so all my football friends would go, and then she'd get their sandwiches, put more uh, more meat on their sandwiches and stuff like that, and they loved it. But every Friday, she would come home with like uh, calzones, uh, uh, cookies, like extra stuff, and it's like think like in my head, I'm like. I'm glad that I'm getting them for one. Mm-hmm. Two, I'm like, if they have this much left over, I wonder how much is actually thrown away they could have just given to some of these yeah. kids that actually would want it. Because like you said, there are a lot of these kids who are going to the schools who who maybe have, um, their parents are both working, maybe only have one parent, maybe with their grandparents and they're working and they don't get like the constant meals all the time, mm-hmm. which that would be a huge benefit to them. And that's kind of a, a real shame for the American like education system, especially 
you can get into healthcare and all that stuff that kind of correlates towards that. And that's very unfortunate about the way that they do it and turned it into kind of like, I mean, I get that you want to have money come in to pay for the food, yeah. but you would think um, the school system would be funded correctly to be able to cover for that for kids like that. It's just a whole different topic. I do want to kind of take a, a little bit of a turn into kind of like that senior year aspect okay. and kind of like you're getting ready to graduate and like all the emotions. This is the time of year where everyone's graduating. Um, kind of talk to me about that experience and then the kind of the fear of the unknown almost in the sense of like what's next? Like why did you go to college? Why not? Like did you weigh those options? Like what was the path for you that you felt like you needed to take? Okay, first of all, I hated high school. I my experience in high school, I just think it was very toxic in the sense that I was in an all-girls group. And when you're in high school and you're going through, like, puberty and all the emotions and all of that, and then just put all the girls in one classroom. You can only imagine. Did they separate like, like on purpose? girls kind of thing? No, it didn't. Because, okay, so you, in the high school that I was in, you could take like a tech class like i don't know how do you call that like a sh you know how some schools here you could do like oh like an intro to mechanics or an intro to culinary or <laughs> yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. over there was to to for business administration and i was like well i'm going to graduate high school and i'm going to have something with me to back me up just in case and i it was open to all genders but they happened to only be girls interested in that were able to actually, that were legible because you had to be, like, you had to have a certain GPA, you had to have certain, like, stuff. Mm -hmm. And it was just girls. So it wasn't on purpose. It was just that only girls were able to get into the course. I really disliked it. And it was very toxic. It also spiked very like unhealthy self image on myself. It was very hard. I, I went through an eating disorder. It wasn't really easy having all the girls being really, really critical, very criticonas, very like criticizing you a lot for even whatever. And then you do have to use uniforms in PR. Mm. So that was another thing. And you had, and being in that group, your uniform was different from all the other girls in the, or all the other people in the, in the school. So, yeah, so I couldn't really wait until I finished high school. I was like, I was like, I can't wait to finish high school. I can't wait to finish high school. And not going to college was really not an option. I always knew, like I told you at the beginning, I was a nerd. I was book nerd. All my friends were like going to the parties. I was like, no, I want to stay home. I want to read something. So that wasn't really an option for me. When I was little, I would used to play with all those cousins that I told you. I would be, I would play school. I was a teacher and I would get mad if they didn't do their homework and, I, and all of that. So I knew I wanted to go into education. So it wasn't really an option for me not to go to college. And seeing my mom studying abroad and doing all of that, I was like, I know that I want to have my education. So the day that I do have a kid, I don't have to like go abroad and just leave them or have this gap in their life because I need to better my education. So I knew that I wanted to do it. I knew I wanted to go to college and I knew that it wasn't an option for me in my mind to not do it. 
Did you go to school, college down there, or did you? Oh, uh, yes. Oh, yeah. What was that experience like? I'm assuming it's probably pretty similar to an American university, but I'm, I don't know. I'm wondering kind of what your experience is, and that would help me, obviously, okay. figure it out, too. <laughs> so, I don't know. It was freedom for me after, you know. Do you have to take out loans and stuff for that, too, or do they give free education down in PR? GPA matters. Okay. And again, going back to being a nerd, I got, I got a full ride. That's amazing. Because I was in the UPR system, which is like the highest university in Puerto Rico. And you do need to have a certain GPA to get in there. And whoever gets into that school gets a full ride. If you have like low income parents. And like I mentioned, my mom was studying abroad. Mm-hmm. My grandparents weren't really my tutors or anything like that. Is it? Is that how you say it? Like they were my legal guardians. Yep, that was, yeah. Yeah. So... My so I did get the full ride, and students that had a good GPA would get a full ride, and then those that did get a full that had good GPAs, but their parents were like more working class, more wealthy, they would have to pay like a percentage of it. But it was there are expensive schools in PR, but that one is what like Puerto Rico University is known for. And it's the best. And I was in it. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome, though, that yeah. you were able to kind of go there on, on like a full ride. And like, mm-hmm. that's so amazing, especially nowadays where like right now the hot topic, too, especially politically in America is like student loan forgiveness and student loans in general. And like yeah. how um, oh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Um, it's kind of like you get a student loan and this it's one of those. It's the only loan as far as I'm aware, that you can't go bankrupt on, which means you can't kind of like default on. Mm -hmm. So you have to pay that regardless of your finances for the rest of your life, which Mm -hmm. is like very scary for people that are going to school. You're 18 years old. You don't know. You're like, oh, it's cost me this much to go to school. They're like, here, here's all the money to go to school. You're like, okay, sign the loan. And especially now with the interest rates as someone who is uh, accounting and does finance and numbers basically, like I could tell you like a lot of people don't understand uh, how that kind of structure and how that system works because that system will keep you trapped and it will keep you broke. Cause yeah. if you, especially in a lot of university, if you choose the wrong degree and it's not a degree that pays a lot and you just paid 40, 50,000 for a semester, like, mm-hmm. and that adds up every single or a year, 40 adds up all the way through. You're, you're kind of screwed, especially if you're not getting that money back. Mm-hmm. So, that's amazing that you were able to kind of get that ride and be able to do that. But don't get me wrong. I did get student loans because I, through my, it was for, I did my bachelor's and my master's. Mm-hmm. During my bachelor's, like when I was in year three, I, my bachelor's, I finished it in four and a half years. In year three, my grandpa was frustrated because school was taking too long and he didn't want to help me pay like my apartment anymore and all of that. Because he really didn't go to college. So he really didn't know what meant to have a long wait in school. So he's like, it's taking too long. Like, you need to get out of there and get a job. I can't help you financially anymore. So that's when I'm like, what? I started crying, looking for jobs over there. It was very hard. And then I was like, F it. I'm going to get a student loan. So I do have student loans, but it was for survival more than for school. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's not like you can't, I can't compare it to the American debt like schools here. No. Yeah, it's it's no. pretty bad. Like uh, for lucky for myself that I went and got a degree that teaches you about this stuff. And mm-hmm. like you actually, I do 
work with that type of stuff. So like I actually understand it better than probably yeah. most people do. But I mean, when you're 18 years old and you just want to ex- get the college experience, which they talk about so much in like movies and TV and just in culture <laughs> and stuff that right now more than ever, it's becoming a, a real serious question that people are having is like whether to go to school or not nowadays. I mean, when there's just a lot of people are quite, quite frankly, just kind of lazy and they don't want to do uh manual labor jobs and a lot of these trade jobs that we have like plumbing and like um electrician and stuff like that like we need these jobs as a society and like yeah what our school systems have done is directed everyone towards education which is not a bad thing but when you're sending everyone that route you're going to create uh, a need for that eventually when those people age out mm-hmm. and, and that's where we're, we're probably going to see in the next several years is people with degrees that are kind of like, well, what do I do now when jobs are filled? Unemployment rate can can skyrocket, and jobs like those, like hands-on jobs, are going to cost more for those services because there's less of them to work. So it's going to be an interesting dynamic to see in the next several years where our country goes in terms of school and like college education because so it's, it's a very tricky discussion. It's like it gets it begs the question is like shouldn't this kind of be at a discounted rate or should it be free? Should education be free to everyone? And and I know a lot of other countries in the world do have free college education for people. But obviously when you think of the, the world scheme, like the population scheme of the United States, is it is it possible? Can they do that? Like where they, can they move the money and do all that stuff? I don't have the answer to that, but it's an interesting question to see where they go with education. And in terms of what we're speaking about education, that's the career you chose. So I'm kind of interested in to kind of like how that's been for you and like, why did you go down the path that you did with education? Okay. So again, my cousins, they, mm-hmm. I think they, they played a big role in that because I was an only child and I relied a lot on my cousins. So I used to play teacher and I really enjoyed it. And I, it clicked to me because I was teaching my, second year old cousin my second grade cousin stuff that I was learning in fifth grade because I was like well that's what I'm learning I'm practicing it with you teachers wanted him to go up a level his mom was like no like he just plays teacher with his cousin like he's not going anywhere then when he went to third grade they wanted to put him up a level again and he always went to me like you're teaching me really good. You're teaching me really good. Like teachers want me. And he would get bored in, in class and they would ask him like, why? He's like, cause I know this. And they're like, how do you know this? My cousin teaches me this. So I feel like I was good in that sense. So I always had like that hype, like, oh, I'm going to be a good teacher. I know that's going to be good. My parents, when we moved from PR to here and I was five years old, I knew nothing of English. They didn't know anything of English. And I asked them to watch um, cartoons in English so I could learn English. And when I started learning English, I would do index cards with words in English and in Spanish in the back. And I would go like, how do you say this in English? And like give them tests to see if they would actually know. So it was just like a vital part of my upcoming. And then when I was in PR, I did... I did ninth grade, then I did high school, but I was still a student because I went straight from my bachelor's to my master's. And during my bachelor's, I took master credits so I could finish my master's um, before, like faster. When I was in my master's, 
I got an opportunity from one of my professors. They called me, yes, we have an opportunity for you. I think you're going to be really good teaching English to adults. And I was excited, but I was so nervous because age is a big thing in Puerto Rico. So the older the person is, the more respect you give them. And I was 21 and I was going to be teaching people that were older than my mom. So I was very nervous. I was like, are they going to take me serious? Are they just going to think like, yeta quinkla, like this little girl, what the heck is she doing here? And I was very nervous. But when I started, I was like, I love this more than I love with kids because they're more appreciative. They're more grateful. And they just wanted to learn English because like their kids were into English now or because they were planning on moving to the States and they wanted to have like a backup or something where they can practice their English. Because the funny thing is English is taught in Puerto Rican schools since kindergarten, but it's more grammar. So when you meet Puerto Ricans, they're, they're, their excuse is, oh, I can read and, and understand what I'm reading, but I can't have conversations with you. Because that was more, that was like how education works there. Like it's more grammar and reading is not really conversation based. So a lot of students are good at taking tests in English, but they're not good at maintaining conversation or just speaking freely in English. And when I did that in PR, I fell in love with it until I graduated. And I was like, I want to do this when I move And I moved here, fast forward, I moved here. I did a summer program in Braintree, so like in Boston. Mm -hmm. It was with like high schoolers or so that came from Asia, from Europe, that they just were doing like a program for summer and then going back. I was like, I really, I don't like this. I did after school programs. I don't like it. Kids are very disrespectful here, and I can't just, like, say what my mind's thinking. So when I went into education here, I knew I I was going to definitely look into adult ed. So I looked and looked and looked, and I got it. And I've been working in adult ed here for almost almost five years, and I love it. And I'm working specifically with immigrants. They're trying to get their citizenship or... And I have a class that is targeted to parents, specifically mothers, that are stay at home and they want to better their education because they want to be able to get their citizenship and give it to their kids because they moved with their kids from their country. And it's very fulfilling. I was going to say that definitely sounds like an extremely fulfilling like yeah. role to be able to help like immigrants earn citizenship like that's like oh that's a huge thing to be doing and like to be giving your time to that and like when i'm talking about passions on this podcast that's the type of stuff that i'm like looking for when people are talking about it like when you're talking about teaching and helping people you light up differently and that's exactly what i say when i talk about um passions with people is like people light up as soon as they start talking about passions like obviously we're talking in the beginning part we're talking about your life it's a little more challenging at first (laughs) getting there and then as soon as you hit the thing you take over you could tell it's like that helping people like learn the language and like how to speak it how to have conversations how to 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 read write and that's going to help them 
further their entire lives, especially in America when you're helping, because it's probably a huge transition. They always say it's harder to learn stuff when you're older. Mm -hmm. So like that, like that curve is probably a lot like more challenging for them to try to understand. Cause like, there's a lot of things about the English like language and grammar that just don't make a lot of sense. When like, like I've seen a lot of like the comparisons that people do on like social media and it's like, this is kind of wild. Like it they could do like, it's just random. And then don't even get me started on like the, the lingo and like the slang that like different parts yeah. of the country have. That's like a whole different thing, but being able to do that for especially older um, people instead of just the like, younger teens and children, that sounds like it makes a lot of sense when you're talking about you're, they're going to appreciate you a lot more because you're allowing them something really important to get something really important to them yeah. versus a lot of the times the kids just don't really realize they don't understand the implications of their education. Like, it's just one of those things that until you're older, you don't really get. So to, to be in that position, I mean, kudos to you, props to you, a round of applause. Like that's like extremely like beneficial stuff to society. And like, yeah. that's amazing. No. And not only that for them seeing me as a Latina and not just as a, no offense, a white person, just, you know, a gringo or a gringa teaching them, they like their barriers and their guards go down. They're like, okay, I can make my mistakes because you're still going to understand me. You're not going to be like, I don't get your accent or your accent is too thick. And that's rewarding for me because it feels like home for me. And I don't, I haven't given class to a lot of Puerto Ricans here, but just the Latino community is one. So it feels very homey to me when I teach class and something that's very interesting is that when I first started work where I currently am it's a nonprofit organization when they interviewed me they told me our policy is English only policy and I said English only my thesis back home in my master talks about the importance of using the students you know background language to actually understand and learn the language they're like no we're an english only institute i'm like okay i could do whatever the f i want in my classroom like so i got there and i always told my boss like it's the institute but not in my classroom like i'm not gonna do english only i understand the importance of always talking the targeted language but i'm not gonna stop my student from wanting to communicate with me their needs or their frustration in their mother tongue and now after the pandemic, they realized the importance of it and the policy changed. So I, I was, I always tell my boss, like, I know I had to do something with that. And she always laughs. And I'm like, I know I had to do something with that because now they're not in English only because they said that they noticed that through the pandemic, when we're doing online classes, they needed to talk in the student's mother tongue to be able to help them turn on the computer, log in, understand Zoom. Because if the student isn't understanding in English, whatever the heck you're saying, how are you going to be able to communicate with them in English to get on Zoom when I'm telling you it's a range of, they're from 22 to 75-year-olds. So the 22 is going to understand it like that. But give a computer for the first time to a 65-year-old. They don't understand English. They don't understand tech. What are you going to do? You're going to target in their home language. Yeah, they're going to so, struggle. And it's yeah. like they're not going to truly understand that how to actually all do that. Let me just turn this camera off. Okay. 
technology problems. This is the part of the live <laughs> podcasting. But I wanted to say, like, I didn't def- definitely don't take offense to that because, like, I obviously makes more sense. Like, it's the relatability factor. Mm-hmm. Like, if you if you're someone's teaching you something and you can't relate to them, it's going to be harder to receive the information. Like, it's just a known fact. It's like, if someone's just preaching to you about whatever and there's not that connection there, they're just going to be like, well, who is this person? It's going to feel almost like being talked down to. Like, you're less than almost. Oh, yeah. And, like, people are not going to receive it a lot better. So you being in that position to actually relate to a lot of them is going to allow them to really open up and express mm-hmm. themselves. And I think that's really more beneficial towards them in like actually progressing their education and understanding. And I think that's like completely fantastic. I want to actually ask too about the transition from moving from Puerto Rico up to Rhode Island. And what's like, what's that, what was that experience like? What was like the thought process behind foot, like officially kind of like moving up into this, <sighs> this area? Sometimes I wish I didn't just because it was hard in the sense that every day I miss home. But I'm in a position now where this is home too. If you would have told me, oh, this is going to be home too, in 2018 when I moved, I was going to be like, you don't even know what the heck you're talking about. Like, this will never be home. But like I have a house now, my husband and I, we have our little bubble that feels like our home. And even when we go back home, we're like, we miss a little, little, our little space, you know? It was hard at the beginning. I I think I I mentioned it to you before we started recording. It was hard for me to make friends here. And being a teacher in adult ed where people are older than me and they're not really from my community. They don't look like me. They don't talk like me. It was hard to connect with them. And Americans are very serious compared to like Puerto Rico. We joke a lot. We dance a lot. We party a lot. And Americans, they're kind of boring in the sense that we always have a party for everything. Like, oh, because they're like, oh, you graduated. Woo. Oh, you just got fired. That's okay. You're going to get a better job. Don't worry. So... Over here, everything is very serious and very structured. So for me, it was hard just to be able to make friends back home. I have friends that I can count with one hand, but I know that they're always there. And they're either from my neighborhood or from college. And it's an island, so it's just a quick drive. It's not like here. that It's like in New York. Oh, yeah, New York's three hours away. It's like, I'm not going to drive to New York just to see you. I'm sorry. I love you, but I'm not just going to drive there. And it was very hard at the beginning. The weather. It's always tropical over there. New England has only like two months of hot weather here. The rest is just cold or muggy and icky. So it's very hard here in that sense. And... I mentioned before that if it wasn't for like my gym community, it would it wouldn't I wouldn't be here as the sense of being happy where I'm at. I was I'm happy with my family, happy with my husband, my dog and my cat, my mom, my sister, and all of that. But I didn't have a community outside of my house. And I was working out at a gym by myself. And I was bored and I was tired. I didn't even want to go work out anymore because I was only with myself. 
and everybody has when you when you're in the gym everybody has their like headphones everybody's in their own bubble because you're concentrating what you're doing it's not really to mingle so i started actively looking for gym classes for boot camp or anything like that and that's when i jumped into laurel and i <laughs> was very happy with the community and it wasn't like we were hanging out and going out but i like I was looking forward to the classes. So I started going to the gym six times a week. I was going to all the classes that sometimes I would go twice in a day just because I wanted to be out and be surrounded by other people. But being there was hard too because all the people there were just white Americans and I'm like, nobody looked like me. I didn't even know I had an accent until like I was surrounded by so many white people. But in one class, I bumped into a Dominican friend well, now she's a friend. And we connected. And she's like, you're understanding my English? I'm like, of course, you speak Spanish. Okay, let's start. So we had our own little thing happening there. And that's where I was like, okay, now I'm more part of the society. I'm not just living home. I can actually go out and meet people. So Yeah, I think having a community outside of like your specific household is always super important. Like having a space where you can like just relate to other people mm -hmm. and like talk to other people, whether it is a gym or a... Like um, for some people, like to do like a like a softball or um, kickball leagues or whatever, or art or music, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Just having a space where you can go and just kind of mingle and have fun, and especially with one that you're doing with fitness, amazing. It just so many benefits to being healthy oh, yeah. and doing that. It also boosts your mental health. I would say if you want to have a strong mind, you should have a strong body as well, because both are going to go hand in hand mm -hmm. in producing a long, happy life. But Again, community is so, so so important just to have someone that you could relate to and talk to and something to look forward to. I was listening to, um, I forget what podcast it was. It, I don't know if it was, um, I can't remember if it was a podcast or a clip on social media. And they were just talking about the importance of having something to look forward to and like the importance of planning and how valuable it is to have that, yeah. that aspect, whether you're planning, um, your gym sessions, whether you're planning a vacation or whatever, but having that thing to look forward to helps keep you motivated in life. So when you're, you're having those tough days at work or for me, maybe having a, a tough week with like editing a podcast or like struggling of wanting to continue it that week, the, the consistent planning keeps me focused. It's like, all right, well, every single week I'm going to do a podcast or um, six times a week, I'm going to go to the gym like having that routine, that schedule, and this, the things to look forward to in life. It's always the little things that, that keep you going. And I think it's super important to have that and to help push you forward. So I think it's, you do, you get, a, you deserve a lot of credit for actually putting yourself out there too, because a lot of people will not do that. Like a lot of people struggle to do that. And they will just, when you have everything in the palm of your hands on social media, will just revert inwards versus going external and trying to do that. So you deserve a lot of credit for that, especially even coming on the podcast. Like Thank you. this is like a completely new experience. You don't know me like to come on here and to connect and share your life story with a complete stranger, honestly, is like super amazing to me. And every time I have someone on the podcast that's willing to do that is, it's, it's, it's in a weird way, it's a little bit of validation that I've created a space where people <laughs> feel comfortable and yeah. like accepting to want to share stuff. And I think that's the greatest thing in the world. And I think it's a great gift that I can give back to people in your life that will listen to this podcast to hear a side of you that they might not have gotten mm -hmm. in a different conversation, which is my like favorite part is to see that aspect too, is your family, your friends to kind of listen in and to, to get that picture. I want to kind of um, 
kind of start. We're getting towards the end of the podcast. I want to get into the social media stuff a little bit. Okay. Kind of what made you get into social media? What created that that drive to get in there? Because we talked off air of like how it is that hurdle to kind of just start posting. Yeah. So I moved here in 2018. 2019 is when I started building my community, my friends. 2020, the pandemic happened. I was locked home. It was hard. My husband had just gotten laid off a week before everything closed. So we were dealing with all of that. And I started just in my personal Instagram. I started like posting makeup stuff and just different things that I would just talk with my phone to people in my personal IG and my friends and just different people that I hadn't really talked to were like, why don't you create content? I really like what you're saying or your makeup looks really good or this or that. And I was just like, nah, nobody's really going to care about that. So I just kept like putting it in stories or like, I'm just preparing something. So I would put my phone and be like cooking and talking and I would keep getting stuff like that. I was like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Fast forward. My anxiety spiked. Everything was going really bad mentally. And my husband was a huge support. And he's like, you need a hobby besides just closing yourself in the room and doing your makeup alone. Like you need something to do. I don't want you to go down that deep rabbit hole. And he really pushed me. He's like, mommy, do something with this. You can like, even if it's just for your close friends, you could do it in private. You don't have to do it public. People can just, who are interested in whatever the heck you want to do, they can just contact you and like, you can add them. If you don't want everyone to see you, and my best friend also like, you're good at it, do something. And they really pushed me and motivated me. And I was like, but what am I going to do? I don't know what to do. And my name is also very long and I love using my full name. And I'm not just going to put Jessica Andrea Capa Santiago on a page. And they started helping me to with names. My best friend, Paula Nicole, that I love you so much. She actually told me, like, think about something. We started looking with playing with Medusa and Hebe and the meaning behind them and beauty and all of that. And I was like, okay, I want a safe space. I went through a lot mentally, physically, and I need something to get me out of this hole. And I want to listen to my husband because he always says, I don't listen to him. So I'm like, I want to listen to his advice and my best friend. So maybe I could do something. And I did. And people responded nice to it. And I just kept going. It was hard at the beginning. Because I didn't understand how to edit the reels, how to do voiceovers, how to save the voiceovers. It was very, very hard and very frustrating. And then I'm a planner too. So I would always be like, this day I'm doing this, this day I'm doing that, this day I'm doing that. And it has to be by this hour and it has to be posted by this time. And it was hard because I'm a teacher as well. And I go to the gym as well. So finding a gap to be able to post every day. I posted every day for like the first three months. And then I went down because I didn't. You don't get a lot of views. Like the first one, you get a lot of views and you're really excited. You're like, oh, I'm good at this. And then you really put your time to one of them. And then you just get like, if you're lucky, 100 views. And I was like, but this is better than this one because I actually put effort on this one. And I planned this. I was thinking about this. And it took me more time to edit. And I was just like, I'm not going to do this. And my husband's like, do it for fun. 
don't do it for views. Don't do it thinking on anything else. You enjoy it, right? Don't take it as a job, do it as a hobby. And that's when it clicked. I'm like, okay, I can do this like that. Thank you. Because I was take, and it's not that I don't take it serious, but I don't take it as serious as when I started. You see a lot of people that post stupid random shit and they go viral. And then you're talking about mental health. You're talking about feeling good with yourself, self-care. You're talking about easy things that you can do. Cause a lot of my friends are like, I don't eat breakfast because it's hard at the like waking up cooking and then going to work. And I'm like, no, you can do snacks. So I started like doing little videos of stuff that you can actually prepare the night before and have it in the morning on the go and stuff like that, that I feel that are meaningful. And it was hard to see stupid random shit going viral. And then you're putting your time, your effort, your energy, and then you get like a hundred views and they're probably like your mom, your cousin and all of that. So it was hard, but now I do it for fun and I enjoy it and I still put my time and effort to it, but I don't care about the views as much as I did at the beginning. I think that's so much healthier too, as someone who creates content. (laughs) I know exactly what you mean by that is like, and they do that on purpose. The first like few videos you might have might just pop off in views and then they go way down and TikTok is notorious for doing that. And part of their strategy with doing this to get you addicted to posting. But obviously in some instances it's going to derail people from wanting to post is because they're not getting views. And I had so many uh, instances on TikTok where like, like I would actually try to make a good video and like it would do horrible. And then like the one that like I just threw up like just last second, grabbed the screenshot of something, posted it, it would go viral. I'm like, this makes no sense at all. Mm -hmm. But it's like, the consistency aspect of doing it and like continually doing it and then getting to the point of just doing it because you want to do it for fun. Yeah. I think that's the healthiest way to approach any type of content creation is like do it because you want to do it. Not because you're trying to get views or trying to get likes or get clout or some other thing because people will see it and feel it in the content when you're trying too hard Mm -hmm. and when you kind of lean more into your authentic self and you kind of just post what you feel and say what you feel it's going to resonate with more people and when you're doing that that's where you start to create the small communities which become way more valuable than having large communities it's like i saw my tiktok when i would it was like really back then when I was posting like that, I created a really small community of people that I connected with. And I focused on like talking to them when I do lives and stuff like that. Or if they would comment on a TikTok, I would respond to them specifically and not to like someone else in the comments. It's like having that small community that would rally behind yeah. you as a person and not just the content. Because that was like more rewarding was people that saw you as a person and not just as a creator. Because like we're people we have feelings we have bad days we have good days and like when you have people that relate to that aspect and see you for the person you actually are it's way more rewarding than just like oh you're the creator that i saw on on instagram or you're the person i saw on tiktok or twitter or Mm -hmm. whatever it is like they see you for you and i think for for yourself like having that mindset and just doing it that way you're gonna have way more success you're gonna have way more fun and Personally, I like the content that you make and I think that's like, right. And that's part of the reason I even wanted you on the podcast too, is like, that's the content (laughs) I saw. And I'm like, you'd be a great person to have on a podcast. And I obviously learned a ton of great stuff about you. And I think that was like amazing to hear. And this has been a great podcast and we're going to start wrapping things up. 
now. And I have one more question for you, which I told you off the podcast, but I want to give you the chance to say anything that you might not have had a chance to say if you have anything you want to say. I I don't. Don't don't be where like don't be scared to start all over. So that's how I I had to start all over when I went from PR to here. And things take time to feel better and to feel home, but you'll get there. I think that's that's that's, that's a good good message too to wrap up cuz that's like um that's really important especially with like your life that you've lived so far too and not being afraid to start over. I think not enough people will will do that. And as someone that I've moved away, I started in a completely new place, had to make new friends and do all that stuff. It's not as, as scary as probably what you did, but at the same time, like having that, that kind of like that leap of faith almost, I think is super important, but this has been a great podcast. I do have one more question for you. And that question is, what would your advice be for someone who wants to pursue their passion? Just do it. (laughs) (laughs) No, okay, I knew you had to do it. <laughs> as soon as I saw you wind up, I'm like, here we go. You're going to do it to me. No, for someone that wants to start again, just not just do it. Don't be afraid to do it. And if you're scared, use that as your power. I was scared to move here. I was scared to make friends, but take it, cogelo de las manos, like take it on your hands and do it. Just, I, I didn't want to stay lonely with no friends. I got a gym. I found friends in the gym. If you want to start something, don't be scared and don't do anything. Be pro, proactive. How do you say that in English? Pro, proactive. Proactive. Yeah. Thank you. Be proactive about it and agarralo de las manos. Perfect. I think that's an excellent way <laughs> to wrap it up. And what, what what does that translate to English? Grab it with your hands. Perfect. Yeah. I, that's exactly that's. Amazing way to wrap this up. This has been an amazing podcast. I want to say thank you for coming on the podcast and giving me some of your time and sharing your story with me and anyone that listens. I just, I really appreciate anyone that has the courage to sit behind a microphone and some cameras and and do this. Thank you for the opportunity. Of course. And if you ever want to come back on the podcast, you can hit me up and we can, we can always do another podcast in the future. But for you guys, if you guys like the podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, share it with your friends, share it with your family, share it with your grandma. <laughs> you can check it out at thecarolconnection.simplecast.com. Also, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the major listening platforms. And if you'd like to watch your podcast, search it on YouTube at The Carol Connection or at Jared M. Carol. should pop up right for you. And if you want to be a guest or return as a guest, hit me up on Instagram at The Carol Connection or at Jared M. Carol. And we can set that up. So, till next time, guys. Peace.